Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. Again, I'm with Father Jeff Lewis, and Father Lewis is going to lead us off with a scripture reading and a prayer. Our scripture passage today is the uh, gospel text given for uh, the sixth uh, Friday of the sixth week of ordinary time, the day we're recording this. It's from Gospel according to St. Mark. Jesus summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and that of the gospel will save it. Lord Jesus, we ask you to give us the strength and grace we need indeed to carry our cross that you have given to us, that somehow the burdens we bear will give you glory and will contribute to the salvation of souls. And we ask this in your blessings upon uh, our program this morning, in your most holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So Father Lewis, uh, he comes to this very expensive, expansive studio. Very, very... (laughs) He's laughing. Very professional studio I have here in my humble home office. And uh, Father, when you came in, you noticed uh, something different. There was something posted on the front door. <laughs> Do you remember what was posted on that front door? On the front door. It's, it's on the inside on of the, the front inside, door. One of your daughters had posted, don't forget to turn on the oven for the croissants, I think. Nice. <laughs> and she should have said chocolate croissants. Oh, then I'd be ready for that. Okay, so now what you have to know, Father, is that the house is... It's actually in one of the more empty states it's been in because I have my three oldest daughters out of the home right now, right, for, for school, and just two of the the two oldest are gone for now. And the fourth daughter um, just left for Costa Rica for a week of vacation because it's spring uh, winter break. Um, and so she left a day early with some other classmates to, to go to Costa Rica. Oh, the hard life of a senior oh, in high school. Yeah. And um, Carrie is away with her, her sisters. Uh, a couple years ago, they went away for a few days to have some sister time together. And now she's in Arizona enjoying some very sunny weather. And, uh, and again, so I'm Mr. Mom, and, and I, st- I, I only have five kids at home. Okay, now this is going somewhere. Where this is going is the chocolate croissant package has four Chocolate croissants. Uh oh. How many kids do we have? Five in the house. Five kids in the home right now. Plus a dad. What's he going to eat? Oh, yeah. I'm not worried about <laughs> me. Um, well, actually, I'll, I'll get to that. That's interesting because I love one of my favorite treats for a breakfast would be a chocolate croissant. But there was something you said in the gospel. Unless you take up your deny cross. yourself. Yeah. Deny yourself. What does deny yourself look like? So I dutifully. Got up early enough to get those chocolate croissants into the oven and out of the oven and smelling really scrumptious, scrumptious, sumptuous, scrumptious. And uh, I left for mass and and you saw me come in late. We'll talk about that in a minute. (laughs) And I I said, I wonder what's going to happen. Four croissants, five kids. Four (laughs) chocolate croissants, five kids. And when I heard you... Proclaim the gospel, I thought of the four croissants and the five kids. And in the back of my mind, I thought, oh, one of my kids doesn't really like chocolate croissants. I was mistaken. Oh. <laughs> so I got back to the house, and there was no sign of any chocolate croissants. First of all, no thought about dad. <laughs> um, but um, how many kids got to eat chocolate croissants? Do you think they, they cut and separated and even them all out? The answer is no. <laughs> that would be the charitable thing. Yeah, that would be the charitable <laughs> thing. So so one of the kids said, I'll forego. I'll deny myself. Can you think of who that would be? My guess would be John Mark. That would be John Mark. Oh, yes. good. I guess right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he said, no, no, it's okay. I'll go without. And And the funny thing is, is that... He's the one who would probably appreciate it the most in, in terms of enjoying it the most. And, and he gave it up. He denied himself. And, and that's a, I mean, that's, is that an example of denying yourself? I think that is. You know, the little ways of denying ourselves, you know, then we can show that we are entrusted with the little things. And, and Jesus can then entrust us with even greater responsibilities. He says as much in the gospel. So good on John Mark. Yeah. yeah and, this is a house of saint, saints in the making. <laughs> Well, isn't isn't that first reading something about faith and works, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just say you have faith, but you've got to put your faith into action. 
That's right. Right. Yep. And um, and so I I share that because hey folks, as you're listening to the program, every day it's it's kind of a phrase I use is dripping with opportunities to die to yourself, mm-hmm. to deny yourself. And one of the things that like if I said what's one of the things that will be the best motivator for denying yourself? It's recognizing that there's a good that's being realized for someone else or even for oneself. Because if it's just one of the just say no, if you're saying no to something and there's not a yes that you're saying no for the sake of, then it just becomes a pain and a burden. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and some you know, I I try to keep that in mind when I'm going to give up something now for um, you know for a greater good in the future or for someone else. But you know, countless countless times, I'd the vast majority of times, it's for something unseen in the present moment. If I'm going to die, you know, I try to commit to a regular fasting on Fridays, and and the reason why for you know for poor souls in purgatory, I don't even know for whom I'm fasting probably. And what uh, what good, if any, it's it's doing them. I trust it's doing some measure of good on this side of eternity. And then maybe on the other side, I'll I'll, I'll know if there was any merit that um, that was earned, you know, that was kind of awarded, I guess, for those souls on 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 behalf of the works I've offered for them in the term in for, in the form of fasting. So I'm not going to see the uh, the effects of that um, always. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's uh, that's powerful and important what you just shared. It actually reminds me of the feast day that we missed yesterday. So Sunday uh, is that was the feast of Saints Jacinta, uh, uh, yeah, Jacinta and Francisco. Francisco yeah. Right. The, uh, the the two two of the three, well, two saints uh, from Fatima. Mm-hmm. Sister Lucy's not a saint yet, but I think she will be one day. Yeah. Uh, but um, the two saints, their feast day was yesterday. The saints of Fatima, and one of the let's say one of the impacts. Um, maybe the most striking impact of the um, the post-apparition lives of Jacinta and Francisco was was their intense acts of self-denial. Mm-hmm. They were constantly looking for opportunities to deny themselves, die to themselves, give stuff up, sacrifice things. And do, do you remember, I'm not putting you on the spot here, maybe I'm a little <laughs> bit, do you remember the motivation they had for doing it? Well, I was, was I'm one motivator, probably the, the, the brief glimpse of the vision of hell. Huh? Yes. Yeah. And to, right. to pray for sinners and, and deny yourself for sinners. Yeah. And yeah. it was, um, and, and it's like, I, I think about that, like I really do ponder that. And it's like, what was it that moved someone from apathy or lethargy or even just sort of self-centeredness to heroic action on behalf of others? Mm-hmm. And it, it would be, I would say, one of the things is realizing what's at stake. Yeah, yeah. And when these sweet little children, I think they were, what, nine and seven, yeah. when they saw hell... And they saw, remember it was, souls falling into hell like... Like raindrops. Like snowflakes. Yes, snowflakes like yeah. snowflakes into this burning lake of fire with souls ch- screaming and yeah. howling and, and churning and, fi- and, and writhing around. And it was so frightening to them. It wasn't just like, oh, you know, like you see a scary movie and you hide your eyes. Uh-huh. But what was so utterly like horrifying to them was the thought of one soul falling into that lake of fire and the Blessed Mother saying to them, they're falling into the lake of fire because there's no one. To pray for them. There's no one to pray for them. There's no one to do penance for them. There's no one to repair the damage that their sin has caused. They're now trapped in spiritual death and they're headed towards eternal death and no one's willing to do anything for them. And so they're like, Oh my goodness, I want to dedicate every breath I have to some act of penance, reparation, self-denial, taking up a cross, not for their own sanctification, but to be somehow useful to the Lord and bringing about the salvation or the rescue of a soul that's headed towards hell. Yeah, yeah. And who knows what, you know, untold... um, 
graces could be achieved for those souls on behalf of those souls by the littlest penances that we can assign to ourselves. To us, they seem little, the little acts of self-denial, the I don't need the chocolate croissant today. But if that little action, as little as it is, were offered up for a sinner or for you know a soul in purgatory, who knows what untold uh, treasures that has that has equated you know to, and um, and you know we can be, you know we're already suffering in little ways if we were attentive to it in a way that we are making gold bullion out of it and making a deliberate act of reparation or prayer out of the sufferings that we're already being made to endure then, um, boy, we could just be doing all kinds of good. And we, and again, we, we won't see it, but we can be assured in our faith, in the promises of Jesus Christ, that they are for, for the good of ourselves, because we're growing in discipline and, and holiness, and for uh, souls that are in need of it, because they won't do it for themselves, or they can't, so someone's got to do it for them. And we may not see it, but that ought not stop us from at least trying and to, and to just make the most capital out of what we've got before us. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the little things. Like one of the things that Jacinta would do is she'd give up the drink of milk she would get. Like they'd, they'd say, oh, it's lunchtime. Here's some milk. Mm-hmm. And she'd say, no, no, that's okay. You have it. And so she would just sacrifice like a little bit of fasting, a little bit of self-denial of a treat, yeah. Something that she enjoyed and something that she needed. Like it's like, I'm I've been working here out, you know, with the sheep, and I, I'm I'm tired and I'm thirsty, and and I'd love some milk right now. Mm-hmm. And it was here's the funny thing: the sweetness of the milk was nothing compared to the sweetness of giving up the milk. Yeah. Uh, now that sounds paradoxical to me. <laughs> that sounds contradictory to me. Father, help me out here. How can it be somehow sweeter to give something up than to access it? Well, if you recognize why you're giving it up and what untold, again, what untold graces that can, that can uh, achieve there, therein lies the sweetness. You know, I've got this uh, hot cup of uh, delicious coffee in front of me right now. And, uh, I, I won't be giving up just now because I'm still waking up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but you know these little cell, you know you know I, I give up. You know, I could give up a dessert. I'd really like to have that piece of chocolate cake now, or or whatever the case may be. But if I offer this up and I trust that that the Lord and, and Mother Mary knows best where to apply these graces, you know the thought that I contributed somehow to the greater good uh, in the salvation of a soul potentially. I mean that's just a sweeter victory. And that's exactly it. It's a, it's a sweet victory over sin and death and Satan's tyranny. And, and that little thing was, was like a, a holy bullet in the warfare against Satan that has struck a target. And uh, that's much sweeter than enjoying a little bit of cake right now. Well, and I love that. It's, uh, I, when I, sometimes I'll give a talk on uh, like being a gift, like that gift message. And one of them is that um, you find more joy in sacrificing what you find joy, uh, enjoyable for the sake of the joy of someone else. Yeah. And and it's a different kind of joy. It's it's the joy that comes through the cross. It's a kind of a crucified joy. Yeah. And and it's one of those things that is not known except by those who do it. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get it until you do it. Right. And and the funny thing is is that um, it takes time until it becomes a habit. Yeah. Right. Like. Oh, how joyful it is to sacrifice that croissant for my brother mm-hmm. who just was quick to grab it. And uh, and and I've just I'm not going to fight for it, but I'm going to willingly just say you can have it. I will give it up. Yeah, I bet he didn't like that. Yeah. I bet that was not enjoyable at one level, even though at another level, at a not a felt level, right? It, there's a sense of okay, I know this is a good thing. I mm-hmm. know that that this is the gospel, and I know that this is for my sanctification. This this is helping me grow mm-hmm. to to in, into godliness. But right now, I don't like it. Right. Well, you know, and that all is difficult enough. And as you say, it takes great uh, effort and time and patience on ourselves to to build that up into a regular good habit. And it's hard enough to do that. Now, I want to add a, a, a potential detail to this scenario. That's just hypothetical. Let's suppose that as John Mark is freely and joyfully giving up the croissant to his brother, John Luke, and John Luke already had it mostly stuffed in his face by the time John Mark even got down there, and not only just kind of like, you know, kind of like, hmm, shrugged his shoulders and didn't even thank him. Now, John Mark is like, I offered you this for you, you know, and for your joy. And what did I get for it? A shrug and a, and a walk away without a thank. Now, let's just say John Luke did that. I don't know if he did that. I'm not saying he would I do that. I wasn't there. 
<laughs> no, he would he would be like, yeah, yeah, I won, yeah, I so won th- this. Yeah, there's yeah. a complete void a of sadness, right? Yeah, right, a complete void of gratitude for that, and that can really take the wind out of our sails. Like, well, gosh, you know, wh- what motivation do I have to keep doing this if that's the kind of gratitude I get for it? And that's what makes it even tougher uh, uh, because you know that little bit of. Um, uh, enjoyment we could have had of that sacrifice is, is put off it's and we robbed. still see nothing. That's robbed. another sacrifice. Yeah. That's yeah. another sacrifice. Well, Father, we're up against a break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation. This is Tom Kernan with Father Jeff Lewis, and we're talking about dying to self. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kernan with Father Jeff Lewis. And Father, we're talking about that, that idea of being robbed of even the good, even the enjoyment. Like, here I am being so generous and dying to myself and giving up my chocolate croissant. And what do you do? You ravish it selfishly. Yeah. And you're no thinking, gratitude, you're no, not that even any recognition. That, you yeah. know, I'm the sucker here. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look at you. Hey, thanks a lot. Keep doing that, buddy. You know? And, and it's like that becomes a compounded opportunity. To say, well, I'm going to die to myself even again. Yeah, offer that up as well. Even offer that up, yeah. yeah. So folks that are listening, this is more than just chocolate croissants, right? In fact, I think that one of the biggest opportunities that we have to die to self like this is in speech. Mm-hmm. And whether speech is not responding to someone who says something or it's withholding the tongue. Right. You're t- we're the letter to James, and as we go mm-hmm. further into James, it's all about the tongue. Right. If you can control the tongue, you're better than a king, right? Yeah. Um, but um, that whole idea of withholding something that I have every right to say, right? or you really need to hear this and let me be the guy that corrects you, mm-hmm. um, and instead say, you know what? I'm going to say something gracious. I'm going to say something merciful. I'm going to say something encouraging. I think for a lot of folks listening right now, that a lot of dying to self is in in the speech. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, and you know, you're preaching to the choir on that one. You know, as as we're recording this, I'm in the midst of a variety of frustrations of things happening at the at the at the parish and so on and and um, there's a oh, whole. Oh, isn't that interesting? That's yeah. right. Before the program started, you were uh, you were venting. Let's uh, just call it venting. We'll call it Father. venting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I got a whole. I got a whole litany of folks <laughs> I would love to just call up right now and tell them something. What? What? But, but venting to a choice few to 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 help them to pray for me and to calm down. But I need to scale even back on that and just bite my tongue and not not spread the negativity around and, and to you know as uh, as we hear in the scriptures, you know, say only those good things men need to hear. I think St. Paul writes that in one of his letters, and uh, uh, I need to do a better job at that. I'll be perfectly honest with you and the 100,000 listeners we got right now. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so here's the, here's the beautiful truth, folks. Remember this. Dying to self, is it's connected to the gospel, and Jesus says it for a fundamental reason. There's something within us that's broken. And in our fallen human nature, we're likely to advocate, first of all, for ourselves. Uh, at a selfish—one of my—, my, uh, my one of my first spiritual directors, philosophy professor, priest, holy, brilliant priest of God, he would distinguish between selfishness and self-centeredness. He said selfishness was more at the level of uh, the, the appetites, right, where we would just choose things that we just found pleasing to ourselves, even though they weren't really good for us. Self-centeredness is a deeper sin. It's where we orient the entirety of our lives and our world around ourselves, where we put ourselves at the center rather than God. Mm -hmm. Selfishness can be a matter of weakness. Just like I'm just weak in in my, the way that I have this disordered passions that run counter to what I really truly will is very different than self-centeredness where, you know what, I'm just pretty much orienting my life around me and hopefully, God, you can fit into that. Right. Well, and selfishness too can be, uh, in terms of being lesser than self-centeredness, can be very episodic. You know, the the four kids who just grabbed the croissants might have in that moment, impulsiveness, you know, been selfish, but in general, you wouldn't say that they're self-centered, whereas self-centeredness is kind of the general disposition in in almost like a worldview through which you view everyone else. Like, you know, it's all about me. Let's talk about me just everywhere you go. And yeah, so, and, you know, it's all more per- pervasive too. It's kind of a, you know, you got a bad a bad action that you did versus the bad habit versus a blown out vice, you right. know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, um, and, and here's the thing, the folks that are like, 
deeply self-centered, centering their lives around themselves, don't realize it. Right. There, there's a blindness to it because it, it runs so deep in them. Now, it runs in all of us to some degree, but in those who nurture it as somehow a virtue, as somehow their birthright to be able to say, I did it my way. Mm -hmm. It's all about me. Mm -hmm. um, that's a real sadness. Right. Like, the, just the, the Catholic, like we just finished National Marriage Week. Mm -hmm. and, and how can you have marriage? How do you have the nature of uh, like a Catholic understanding of, of the sacrament of holy matrimony if someone is self-centered? Right. And it, it's one of those things where, no, the nature of marriage is self-gifting, self-donation. Mm -hmm. The idea of I, I find life and fulfillment in giving myself away. Right. And in being open to receive the gift of the other and, and in every day, in, in attention, focus, energy, et cetera, et cetera. Like Carrie, she's down enjoying um, Arizona, like with her sisters. Mm -hmm. But I'm enjoying that she's enjoying that. Yeah. And when she talked to me earlier today, she's like, Tom, thank you so much. This is such a gift that you let me do this. Right? Now, what a beautiful way of saying that. She yeah. didn't say... I needed this, and you know what? I'm going to do it, Yeah. <laughs> right? But she didn't say that. She was like, you know, thank you so much for giving me the space to be able to come down here and be with my sisters. It is such a blessing to be able to just go, ah. Mm -hmm. and, and my response back to her was, I don't know how single parents do it. Yeah. I do not know how single parents. God bless single parents, especially, again, single parents who are victims. Mm-hmm. Victims in their married life, they did not want, will, desire, decide, but they, they've been abandoned, they have been left behind, and now here they are trying to, striving to raise their children in, in a home of faith and having to carry the burden of, of providing for the family and providing everything else as well, mm -hmm. like financially, but everything else as well by themselves. Or with a partner, with a former spouse who is working co contrary to them. I don't right. know if you ever encountered that, Father. I have, and it's it is sorrowful. You know, it's uh, at at least at least there could be a, another partner, although that can add antagonism into the into the whole situation. But I've I've known people that were just up and abandoned by their spouse, and not even like served divorce papers. Just one day, you know, the husband mostly, or sometimes it was the wife, just just left. Never to be seen or heard from again. Oh and, gosh! And uh, and you know, and that that should never happen. And I I can recall at least one, maybe two, uh, folks that I that in my life that I've known that that happened to. And um, and there's that too. And there's the rejection. There's no explanation, and all those burdens besides. And you know, trying to raise a healthy, holy home for the children as well as for yourself. But provide for the needs of everybody. I mean, oh my gosh, yeah, that was it's well, just terrible. I think that this is an area that. The church has, I, I don't, maybe it's too simple to say lost her voice, but has not spoken with enough strength, yeah. and it's around no-fault divorce. Right. The way that has become just part of the culture, part of life in society, like it's almost a third rail. God yeah. bless you if you ever stood up and said, you know, stay in your marriage, mm -hmm. learn to die to self, or... If you're going to enter into marriage, make sure that you have the foundations right. But I have encountered enough families that have been uh, touched by divorce where the greatest suffering is endured by who? The children. The children. Yeah. It's like because the often the father refuses to carry a cross, he then walks away from the cross and it lands on the children. Yep. And they're the ones who have to carry heavy crosses that they never decide, they never chose, they never, like, uh, I didn't want this, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't want this, and, and yet I have to carry these burdens. And it's like, when, when will we have enough courage to stand up to defend marriage and to support married couples who are struggling mm -hmm. to be able to overcome so many of the attacks against marriage. Yeah. It's just terrible. Yeah. Well, when, you know, the universal church being able to stand up to do that, you know, is one thing. Then an individual pastors, myself included, you know, 
need to do as much as we can. I, I'm thinking of a, a couple. I'm not sure the divorce is finalized or not, but um, but um, but I mean, it's very a strained thing. And and I have spoken to this, like to 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 the one spouse that doesn't want this and everything else. The other spouse effectively has already you know made up their mind. And uh, and have you tried counseling? Um, I made up my mind. Well, you know, don't do it. It's a sacrament. You know, think of the kid. I made up my mind. You know, and I don't know how to. I don't know how to penetrate that to kind of crack that shell. And and that's another difficulty. I mean, on the one hand, the church tries to speak out or individual pastors, but there's something in the in the in the meanwhile that you know, just a hardness of of heart and hardness of mind and hardness of the will, I guess, to give it a shot and. And um, no, I made up my mind, and and that's just all there is to it. And um, that's the tough nut to crack. I, I don't know how to soften that. Yeah, I, I to be honest with you, I, I've had that conversation a few times, and I literally just use a sledgehammer. Like, um, it's it's almost a kindness to say you don't get to get away with this without at least hearing this once. Yeah. Where I would say, you're lying. Hmm. You're lying. Don't do this. This is a terrible mistake. You're going to crucify your children. Don't do this. Repent, change your ways, cry out to God for mercy, and seek the help you need. But don't you dare do this to your children. Do you love your children? Don't you dare do this to your children. Yeah. yeah. In Jesus' holy name. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't you yeah. happy you're talking to me right now? Right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And it's like, well, isn't that a mercy? Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, if they never hear that, then it was like, um, they got, it's almost like they got away with it. Right. Right. It's almost like they, and, and I tell you, I've had guys just like look me in the eyes and lie to me, just lie to me. Like I'll say to them, all right, this sounds like there's another woman. Nope, there isn't. Okay. Wait a minute. Let me just say it again, really clearly. You're telling me that you're not like communicating with another woman in a way that you've started to build up this bond of affection with her and that you've started to like secretly and have this like relationship in your mind. No, I I tell you it's no, it's not true. And what happens? Yeah, sure enough, it was. Sure enough, it was all along. And they were looking me in the eyes and lying to me. Mm -hmm. And it's like, at least, you know what? I forced them into a position where you either have to own this or lie or lie. Yeah. And you know you're lying. Mm-hmm. And, and then how do you feel about that? How do you, like, do you really think that it's a good thing? It's, right. a, it's a happy thing. It's a life-giving thing. If, in fact, you're lying. Right. So um, how did we end up on this topic? Well, I, you know, the, the, <laughs> the failure of some folks, and we use marriage as an example, to not take up their cross. And, you know, you're right. Marriage is, I have perceived, I have observed, I know lots of families. I, I, I love lots of families and I'm friends with lots of families. And, and right when the kids start melting down and it's bedtime and, and the, uh, the one-year-old has just completely unloaded literally in one leg of the onesie, you know what I'm talking about, I'm like, well, got to go. You know? <laughs> and vocation confirmed. You know, and the priesthood is, you know, I've, I've, you know as strongly as you talked, you know, in that example, you talked to somebody, uh, you know, another man who's, you know, thinking of divorce and all that. And I have talked that harshly with somebody who was talking about leaving the priesthood mm-hmm. to no avail. But... But I have. I've, 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 I've spoken. I've written a written letter, not an email that you can just delete, but you have to actually shred it mm-hmm. and purposely do something and to no avail. But, I mean, like you say, you know, they, if they're not willing to take up their cross, it's, it's, it's a disservice to them for someone else. This is when we can pray for sinners, but we can also engage with them when they're right sitting in front of us to speak a word of truth in, in love, of course, to speak the truth in love. But it's a disservice to them and not a kind of, it's not an act of mercy or kindness to them to say nothing. Yeah. We were talking about earlier about the sins of, sins of speech that oftentimes we need to bite the tongue and hold back. But another sin of speech is when we should have spoken and we did not. Mm-hmm. And um, it takes really refined, careful discernment to know when we truly should speak and when we ought to refrain. And um, anyway, you know, so, it's all it's all it's all part of taking up the cross. Sometimes we got to be the ones to put ourselves in that awkward position, but for right. the sake of the other, right? Yeah. So let's go back to that very holy priest, spiritual director, uh, seminary professor of mine. He said that one of the most important virtues in marriage is honestas. Okay, now honestas we think honesty, but honestas means uprightness. It means the willingness to live transparently in the open. 
And his point was, where you hide is your danger spot. What you would choose to keep hidden is your vulnerable point. And so in marriage, one of the most important virtues is the willingness to live in a way that's open. Where you hide is your danger spot. And you think about, Father, you hear confessions from men. You counsel a lot of married couples. And if you said, the sin that plagues men the most today, isn't that sin connected with hiddenness? What Mm -hmm. sin am I talking about? Uh, something of a sexual nature. Internet pornography yeah, internet is what pornography. I'm talking about. Yeah. But I mean, if you think if you thought of something else, I don't know. You, you tell me. But I was thinking internet pornography, right. which is, it's let's just say, is it ever a sin that the husband is committing in front of his wife? Absolutely not. He's doing it apart from his wife. He has to isolate himself. Right. He has to keep it hidden, and it's a betrayal. Yeah. It's an absolute betrayal, and it's an unwillingness to be honest. Yeah to be honest. Mm -hmm. And so it's a plague. It's a plague. Do you want to say anything? We have a minute left if you want to say anything about uh, Anastas. Anastas. What do you think about what uh, Father Noonan, that priest friend of mine, said? I think that's right. Honestly, you know, I was thinking also, you know, St. Nathaniel, uh, when you encounter Jesus, there's, here's a true son of Israel. There's no duplicity in this one. And, um, and, you know, he just met him, but of course Jesus knows our hearts. And would that, that could be said, you know, Integrity be one of the great, great virtues that all men should strive, all people should strive for. There is no duplicity. They're totally honest. No what guile. Is what you get. No guile. Yeah. I love that. That's a great phrase. All right. We're up against a break, Father Lewis. Uh, this is Tom Curran, and we'll be back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Carnum with Father Jeff Lewis. If you enjoy these programs, please go to mycatholicfaith.org. Mycatholicfaith.org. Love to be able to have you sign up for the podcast. The Apple Podcast is the Dr. Tom Curran podcast. Also on mycatholicfaith.org are many free resources for you to download. Ebooks, audio talks, and videos, all available to you for the big price of free. That, hey. That's a pretty good deal, isn't yeah. it? That's a nice deal. So free resources to help you grow in faith. So Father Lewis, we were talking about uh, this honestas. Okay, I'm going to ask you for a little bit of honestas. Okay. How do you feel when you uh, process in the Mass, say at 7 in the morning on a Friday, and at 7.05, some guy comes lumbering in, five minutes late, missed the first reading, and is showing up in time for the responsorial psalm. I'm sure that never happens in Not your at St. Mary. Not at St. Mary. Never, never, never. We have only holy parishioners at St. Mary. Oh, wow. <laughs> Except for those sinners that come in five minutes late. I actually wonder what you think about. Like, How do you relate to the fact that people show up late for Mass? Well, I'll, to be honest, um, if, I want some honesty. Yeah, I want some honesty. Uh, to be honest, I'm actually very grateful that they're there. If I recognize that it's someone who habitually makes a practice of it, then I get frustrated. Like, really, you couldn't set the alarm like five minutes earlier, you know? And I, I not be careful saying that because I those... saw you, you shaking your head gently when I walked in. <laughs> you didn't know that Carrie was gone. I had no other. I don't, well, I, was, I looked. At... I had to put the croissants in. <laughs> yeah. You saw me, and I went around the side yeah. entrance. So I wouldn't like actually be seen. <laughs> I didn't know I was shaking my head, but maybe you I weren't was, shaking your head. I'm teasing. I, I got to be careful when I talk about you know being too harsh on people coming late because sometimes it's all I can do to get out of the house, and so we can start mass on time. And I feel bad for the parishioners. I, we end on time, like we're never past seven thirty except for feast days. But uh, out of respect for people's times, but. I got to be better at that. So, I mean, I got to check myself. I'm like, if I'm going to be, you know, shaking my head at someone who only once in his life has ever showed up five minutes late for Mass, <laughs> then uh, I got to point that finger at myself. You know, the one finger points at you means like, what, four fingers pointing nice. at me, right? <laughs> well, let me tell you, Father Mike, he starts Mass at 6.59.50. He is, he is never late. Yeah, he is, he is like clockwork. Right there yeah. at seven o'clock starting mass yeah, uh, yeah so uh but anyways i oh by the way i love your homilies yours and father mike's oh, it's like uh you don't uh, you don't um it is it is rare that there are 
thoughtful, prepared, um, insightful homilies at daily mass that you know that the presider actually invested time, effort, energy to say, I'm putting together like real food, real food. I want to nourish you spiritually on a daily mass. Yeah. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I do. And uh, I thank you for that compliment. And um, I don't feel like, um, well, I mean, if others perceive that as well, that's that's great for me. I don't want to sound like I'm bragging about my own homilies or anything like that. But I do put in uh, the effort and the prayer and and more deliberately uh, this year than maybe um, previous years of my priesthood is is making sure that I'm really praying for for a good time with the scriptures and taking my notes, doing Lexia Divina, and basically the fruit of all that is the homily. So, Wait you know, the homily. You're telling a- me that you're not like drawing from a file, like oh, I did this one three years, you know, two years ago in the daily mass. Three well, years in all honest, us. <laughs> On occasion, I do have to do that, I must admit, because, you know, the day got packed with emergency anointings and chaos in the parish and, and you know, all these things, and then I get to the that, end of the that's, day. That's the priestly counterpart to a wife who goes to Arizona, and you've got to get <laughs> the croissants in the oven. So. Leave the notes on the doors yeah. and such, yeah. So, I you know, I do uh, keep all my homilies, and I, I organize them by date, so it's easy enough to look back at, well, what did I preach on the sixth, on, uh, sixth Friday of... Ordinary time, you know, the last time we had cycle two, you know, I, I can look at look that up and then oh that looks like something I'd say today. I'll use that, you know. <laughs> oh boy, man. Oh that you know what? I I have never thought that um when you talk about like the week in ordinary time versus the feast day, that they're mm. not aligning. Right. That they're different. I, I'm like, I never thought of that. Yeah. But um oh wow. I, I, all of a sudden I have a newfound respect. Even a, <laughs> even a deeper respect for the fact that you're um, deliver, delivering real spiritual subs, uh, sustenance. Right. I mean, this homilies. this time two years ago, the last six, six Friday in Ordinary Time, that might have been a Saint's Feast Day where I had a completely different topic given the fact that a Saint's Feast Day was that day. But now that the day is fixed, but the date has moved. And, you know, so it doesn't always work. You know, sometimes I've right. got to sit down at 9 p.m. and and pray and crank it out. <laughs> so you, um, so you're saying that you you actually have mercy for those who are showing up occasionally late, like I did. Because yeah. um, I got to tell you, on my side of it, um, it's like I'm disappointed in myself because I would like not show up five minutes late for a dentist appointment. I would not show up five minutes late for an appointment with someone at the school. I wouldn't show up five minutes late for. Um, you know, any uh, a business meeting, I just wouldn't casually show up five minutes late. Yeah, but it's just God. <laughs> it's just the sacred liturgy. It's just, and it's like, what is it about Mass that at least some Catholics, anybody out there like me, somehow feels the freedom to say, I don't have to hold myself to be there on time. But there's that sense of. What's the last minute I can leave and still make it there on time? Right. It's just there's that's that, that's mysterious. Do you have any insight into that? Well, I mean, what came to mind was you know, thus is the mercy of of Jesus. I think you know, um, I, I I don't know if you're a fan of the show The Chosen or not, but I've I've watched it and there's uh, listeners out there may have seen it in the first season. Jesus is so close to convincing Nicodemus to come along with them. In the last episode of the first season, I think it's the last episode, he's right around the corner, Nicodemus, agonizing over whether he should stay and with his wife and keep being a Pharisee or go because his heart yearns for that. And and Jesus is like, they're ready to go, but he's just delaying it a little bit because he knows that Nicodemus is right there. He wants, And he's calling out, anyone else? Anyone going to come with us? Like, hello? And and then he says, you were so close, my friend. So he waited, you know, and he would have received them with great joy. So that's just an example. Of, like, I'm pretty sure that, you know, now if, if we were so cavalier and casual in our general attitude, like, you know, you had, you had you know, the croissants and all these other things in the morning piled up and you don't make a regular habit of it and so on. And I think Jesus accounts for that. But if someone, you know, casually just always doing that, showing up just in time for communion and then left right after, then Jesus might be like, Really, is that all I am to you? Is some kind of vending machine? I think it'd be a little different, but I really don't know. I think that um, 
you know, the dentist, if you're five minutes late, they just give it to the next guy who's there. But I'm not going to say, well, you're late, so we're going to have to, like, restart mass or something. (laughs) Well, I – so, folks, if you're in that situation, what I do is I actually will um, use the time in the car ride as as a time of prayer. So I'm praying – I'm praying before the beginning of the 7 o'clock mass because I'm leaving the house before 7. It's just not – it's a nine-minute ride, and I left – four minutes late. And so, uh, in order to get there right on time. And so, um, so I, I'm using the time of the car ride, you know, don't have the radio on, don't have the phone playing something, but be quiet and be prayerful and be prepared. Um, but I still feel that sense of like disappointment in myself that says, okay, even though I'm praying now, even like before mass actually formally started, um, why couldn't I just like, just be, that little extra effort to say you just don't have the freedom not to get there on time uh, if unless or uh, unless you know oh the car ran out of gas or there's something really serious right chocolate croissants not that serious <laughs> just not that big a deal really really your kids might disagree but i agree with I you <laughs> yeah so i think that um if like one of the things that um we do typically as a family when we're going is you just don't wait till the last minute like to say, okay, it's still safe to leave 12 minutes early because we'll get there three minutes before mass. No, let's leave so that we get there 10 minutes early. Mm. So you can actually settle in, you can pray in the church and prepare yourself to yeah. enter into the sacred liturgy because you have a really important part to play. Mm-hmm. You know, you're even though mm. even though you're quote unquote just in the assembly, no, you are the assembly. Mm-hmm. You are participating in this sacred liturgy and you want to be maximally ready for it. Yeah. Well, and that's, I'm glad I raised that point. If people would make the the effort and the habit of showing up early and, and if you're not there 10 minutes early before mass, you're late and people might wonder, well, what am I going to do for 10 minutes? Oh my gosh, there's all kinds <laughs> of things. First of all, we start mass with asking the Lord to have mercy on us because of our sins. So let's call to mind our sins, just like we do before the confidior or the uh, Kyrie. Um, and then also, you know, I don't know how many people might know this, but but um, it's not just a priest offering Mass. Each of us can have a Mass intention. So call to mind your Mass intention and start to prepare for that. All kinds of untold things you can do. And just like you say, settle in, be at peace, get ready. And, you know, we're about to enter into heaven here, so let's let's make sure we're ready. Amen to that. I think that um, you talked about like, sort of settling in. I think that silence is one of the really big deal things that I do um, before Mass. But we're up against a break, so I'm going to be silent. And back in a minute with Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. And um, Father, the last point I was just making was um, a lot of folks that have studied um, like neuroscience have talked about the way that um, this concept of information overload has just become exponentially increased Mm -hmm. because of the way that smartphones have become so embedded in our lives that we're like cyborgs. Yeah. I remember I mentioned that quote. Yeah. uh, Elon Musk. It was uh, Elon Musk. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, We're already cyborgs because of these smartphones. And one of the things that neuroscience has shown us is you just can't process all that information. You need to quiet your brain down. Mm -hmm. And so um, I love to have that silence on the car ride down but then the silence in the church, when my body is stopped, I'm not actually focused on driving. Mm-hmm. That is so important for kids. That is so important for, for everyone to be able to just, ah, quiet. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, anyways, I, any comments on that? Well, yeah. Um, I, I guess I hadn't heard from parishioners how things are at St. Mary with regard to silence in the pews before Mass. But I've, you know, my pre- some of my previous assignments, I've had people say, could you make an announcement, please, that if you want to have a conversation before or after Mass to take it out of the church because we're trying to pray and prepare in here. A, good on them for raising the awareness and that they want to do that. 
and um, and a message for everyone else. Like you know, churches these days, you know, we got the gathering space and we got the parish hall, and and that's where we can have our conversations. But let's keep this a place of holiness and a and a place of worship. And when it's not the mass and the liturgy going on, a place of silence so people can pray. I have perceived that um, observed at uh, Saint Mary on the weekday masses that. Um, it's it's quiet. We're setting up, but I don't see conversations going on in the church, you know, in the mm-hmm. gathering space, maybe. And and uh, so there's that appreciation on the part of everyone to try to maintain that spirit of silence uh, because people are praying. And and I appreciate that as the pastor very much because that's exactly right. Well, at Sunday mass, after mass, well, then it's anything goes. You know? <laughs> it's a little bit more chatty, mm-hmm. and I think it's folks my age and older yeah. <laughs> that just grew up in the church that said. Oh, this is your chance to fellowship, and yeah. you can begin your fellowship in the sanctuary. So yeah. I think there was a reduced sense of um, this is a space for like quiet prayer, prayer of thanksgiving. Yeah. And um, I know it's something we had to recover because I know we were right there with everyone else chatting away, thinking, oh, you know, why go outside the church? Because really there was no one around us. Right that we're praying prayers of thanksgiving. And so just that sense of um, be reverent and silent in this holy space. So I think that's something that hopefully we can recover as Mm -hmm. a church. I hopefully, yeah, hopefully. And I, I am encouraged that it will be recovered as I, as you say, it's, it's, um, you know, folks in their forties and fifties and then up and older, uh, but I observe, you know, like uh, John Mark, you know, I like to brag about John Mark. You know, he's there on his knees after Mass, and he's praying long after you've left. You're waiting for him. And uh, and he's not the only one. I see younger people. In Last night we just had youth group. Now, who would think that, you know, are you going to tell me that you're taking 25, 30 middle school and high schools up to the church, and you're going to have some quiet time praying with Scripture in front of the Blessed Sacrament? You think you can pull that off? And I say, absolutely. Not only can we, but we do. And, you know, and when we can coach the, the kids into, you know, this is why silence is important. This is why we are here. You know, if we explain why, then they'll, they'll, they'll understand. I think they'll grasp it, and then they'll embrace it, I think. And uh, more and more, I'm, I'm seeing that in our youth group, for example, as well. So there's hope for the future, Tom, as far as that goes. Amen. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, today, this is, uh, we're recording on Friday, but the program is airing on Monday. It's the, face, uh, the Feast of St. Peter Damien. So a bishop a cardinal, a reformer. Mm-hmm. God bless us. Mm-hmm. He was a reformer um, because of the, the corruption at the time in the clergy yeah. in particular. Not setting a good example, Father. I don't know what that's all about. <clears throat> <laughs> um, but this concept of reforming our lives is something that um, is is a perennial theme. Like mm-hmm. we mentioned, these you know, these little kid saints mm-hmm. whose feast day was yesterday. Again, on Sunday, you didn't really get a chance to highlight it. Uh, the saints of Fatima, um, today Saint Peter Damian. Um, I think of Saint Francis of um, of Paula. Saint Francis, he uh, crazy. I mean, amazing. So he started a group called the Minim, mm. right? So you know the Friars Minor, right? Uh-huh. Where the with Franciscans because they're the the lesser brothers. And St. Francis of Paula, like, that's nothing. We're going to start the minimum. We're the least. We're the least brothers. And, <clears throat> excuse me, the, um, the motivation for his order was that the church was not doing enough penance. The church was not doing enough reparation for the blasphemies and sacrileges and the sins that were being committed against the Lord. And so he's like, I got this. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to step in and on behalf of the church, start a group whose charism is penance. Like we're going to sleep in this cave and we're going to like on the ground uh, and a rock for a pillow. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, and he uses like a burlap sack for his, like for his, his, uh, his tunic, his tunic. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, not a very good, you know, marketing materials. <laughs> yeah. Right. And yet, what happened? He in they, It was magnetic. Yeah, the guys were drawn to him, mm-hmm. and not only was he magnetic, but the miracles connected to his life are like some of the most stunning miracles in, in that I've ever read about. Yeah, I mean, just incredible. And it's like um, the 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 concept of where does reform find its dynamic source? It. I think, in part, it's the willingness of those to follow the Lord into a call that says, I'm willing to undertake 
um, I'm willing to undertake a spiritual um, engine, uh, a spiritual source of dynamism for the church that others are not willing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and I think that he is one of the greatest examples of the church for that. Yeah. Well, you know, you're talking about St. Francis of Paula, and um, we still see that phenomenon today. What's one of the fastest-growing religious orders still is the Missionaries of Charity, I suspect, and certainly one of the w- largest of the women religious. And uh, the CFRs continue to hold uh, fantastic um, popularity and fascination with young people. Like, those people are giving their all, and and they're not a, uh, embarrassed by that, and um, and they really believe and are convicted in the in the greatness of what they're a part of, and I want to be a part of that, and um, and that is attractive, especially for young people. I've, I was just talking with, um, I think I was again just talking with our youth group uh, just yesterday or, or earlier this week, anyway. But there's something about the youthful heart and soul that is drawn to the to the ideal and the and the greatness. But how frequently is that completely misguided and misplaced? So why do we have such such hardcore members of gangs? Or why do we have young people who are so hardcore for the for like the communist ideal? It's because they've got that passion and that drive and that sense of the ideal and and it hasn't been guided and nurtured into something that's truly life giving and world changing and good. And um, and if the church would do better at that then certainly we would be exploding at the seams every parish because we'd be filled and we'd be filled with young people because we've given them a cause and we've given them um, a reason to to be convicted in that cause and we've communicated in a way that they can get behind and rally behind. And then the youthful zeal that accompanies that can just not be stopped. So I want to finish on this question, Father, and that is that seminarians today, my conviction is that they ought to be presented with um, a heroic challenge to embrace an ascetical life that is uncommon mm-hmm. because presenting them with a life that says, um, this is how my spiritual director in Rome put it. You can live comfortable bachelordom. Mm-hmm. So you will, yes, you sacrifice having a wife and a family, but you get to you live a kind of comfortable bachelordom as a celibate. You know, you're not going to get wealthy, but, it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that isn't sufficient today. No. And it was never sufficient, but like don't even like hold on to that idea. Yeah. In fact, I want you to embrace the opposite. Yeah. Well, you called it comfortable bachelorhood and one of our priests said, you know, we get paid low class income, but we live a very upper middle class lifestyle because of, of of the circumstances of how we live and so on and how the parish provides. And he didn't say that as a way to brag about our lifestyle, but as a way to warn us against the comforts that can come with that and sneak in. But, you know, yes, seminarians ought to be presented with that, with that uh, austerity. And I'll tell you, if you ask any of the seminarians at Bishop White this year, what of, this, of the fall semester stood out to you above all other things that you've experienced in that semester? And I bet all of them would say, uh, they took a, uh, a, a week-long pilgrimage up to uh, Okanagan County to spend the weekend with Father Luta up there to follow in his shoes and to see what he does. And he's there picking the fruits and vegetables alongside his parishioners, and he's going all over the place ministering to his people, and that still stands out. The guys are still talking about that experience. And there's a young man who's applying for the Core Christie program for Spokane, and if you were to ask him what was one of the leading um, reasons for that made you want to take that step, and I invited him to go along on a kind of shadow the priest kind of day um, uh, last fall, and 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 he still talks about everything that was eye-opening for him in terms of the life of the priest, the real life of the priest. So when we can show them that, that fuels their desire even more to, to be part of something greater and holy. Well, Father, I love what you just shared there. I think it's so true, right? That Don't let seminarians think that this is all about a comfortable lifestyle, but a life of pouring yourself out as a gift. Yeah. The opposite of selfishness and self-centeredness. Exactly, right? yeah, yeah. Self-giving after the manner of Christ. Well, thank you, Father Lewis, for joining me today on Sound Insight. Thank you so much for listening, folks. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.